Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, it's your boy Ryan Leslie, iHeartRadio, Work Radio, Art of the Hustle podcast. I can't wait for everyone to check out this next episode with really an icon in his own right, Tommy Hilfiger, where we discuss everything really from uh, starting a business for 150 bucks to having to bounce back from a bankruptcy to really continuing to stay relevant and build a six and a half billion dollar in sales retail business that's still as relevant today as it ever was so make sure you tune in without further ado this is art of the hustle this is work radio iHeartMedia, media art of the hustle podcast today i can't believe it i'm sitting across the table from an icon honestly in my opinion a legend Tommy Hilfiger, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure. So we're talking today, I mean, first of all, congratulations, you have a new book, it's called American Dreamer. Thank you. Talk to me a little bit about writing this memoir, I mean, why did you know that right now was the right time for you to write this? I didn't really know, when I was approached by the people at uh, Random House, Right. they asked if I wanted to do it, and I'd been asked by other people over the years, and I thought, you know, I thought I'm going to wait until I'm much older. Mm. But then I started thinking, when I'm much older, I might forget. Mm. And there's a lot I remember right now, right. but I don't know, maybe when I'm like 80, I'll forget everything. So yeah. I want my kids to be able to read it. I want my fans and my customers to be able to read it. It's not only my life story, but as the book says, or the or just under the title of American Dreamer, it says, uh, my life in fashion and business. Yes. So I talk about how to build a brand. Right. And that's that's really what this podcast is all about. I mean, it's uh, it's really geared towards all the young startup entrepreneurs that are in the WeWork spaces, and they have dreams, America dreams. They just have dreams the way that you did uh, when you started. And so really what we do at Art of the Hustle is we're looking to really try to understand the backstory and then also get some actionable tips for everyone that's 
just getting started in that process the way you were. And so let's go back to the beginning. Okay. All right? Uh, you're the second of nine children. That's right. How did growing up with that many siblings influence you, your career, and your work ethic? Well, I was second of nine, the first boy. So uh, my parents were both working really hard. But I knew I would have to work on my own to be able to buy my Converse and buy my Levi's and whatever else I needed. So when I was very young, I started – you know, odd jobs, raking leaves, shovel snow, whatever I could do to make some extra money. And then I had a newspaper route, worked at a gas station, tried all sorts of different things. But uh, I was influenced by music. And when the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and all the very cool groups came to the States, I started watching and listening and becoming obsessed with music. Mm. And I I wanted to play. But I was terrible. <laughs> I was I, – I tried playing guitar. That didn't work. I wanted to sing in my brother's band. That didn't work. So I ended up looking like a rock star. Mm. I had long hair. I wore bell bottoms, very cool clothes. And uh, then I decided I should, I should open a, a, a shop. A right. store. So I opened a store when I was 18 years old. Mm. And I took the money I'd saved from working at a gas station. Right. Bought jeans, like 20 pairs of jeans. And I sold them to my friends. And then I opened a small shop with, mm. with a couple of friends. Mm. And we started selling, selling the jeans and selling like vests and candles and all sorts of uh, cool stuff. And we started expanding our business. So, I mean... That, that's so inspirational, first and foremost. So me, I, I, I'm a Harvard kid. Uh, my parents are Salvation Army officers, and uh, we didn't have any money growing up either. But I knew I wanted to do music myself, right? And so in order to afford the actual keyboards and, you know, different drum-making machines and everything, I cleaned toilets at Harvard because that was the job that nobody wanted but paid the most. It was called dorm crew, right? And so I would have never imagined that with 150 bucks. I could have a concept and actually start a business. So you started your first business with 150 bucks. So is that what you used to buy those 20 pairs of jeans? Yeah, yeah. And uh, then as time went on, I had dreams of building my own brand. Right. But I knew nothing about business. And as my store became successful, uh, my partner and I – decided we should open more stores. Mm-hmm. So we started opening more stores, and business was really good. We were selling a lot of jeans and a lot of cool clothes. And then uh, we overexpanded. Mm. So we actually went, Chapter 11, we went bankrupt when we were like five and a half, six years in, into, the, into it because we didn't know anything about business. Mm. But that taught me because I learned – about business law, I learned about uh, accounting. I learned really that in order to build a business, you should you really understand the business part of the business. Right, right. But then after I got back on my feet, my dream was to build my own brand. And uh, Tommy Hilfiger was founded in 1985. So that was founded on sort of a preppy, hip, cool vibe Right. that... I designed for myself. Right, right. Uh, 
What was it like bouncing back, man? What was it like bouncing back? So, I mean, a couple of things. First of all, my, my dad getting me into Harvard, right? That was, that was a huge dream of his because the Salvation Army officers, they didn't make any money. So they worked together, not to put all their business out, but they've worked for the Salvation Army for over 30 years. And aggregate between my mother and father, total gross income over 30 plus years is 600k right and so they basically put me in the school to say ryan you're going to be our insurance policy right you're going to be our retirement plan you're going to go to school i got in super early i was 19 years old a senior at harvard wow incredible you know my father was so proud and everything and i told him i had the music bug and he almost lost it right and so i mean it it your father, Richard, was a watchmaker, a jeweler, yeah. and was not a man for fantasies. You obviously had a dream. What was it like to actually show and prove? First of all, to show and prove, like, look, me and my partners are going to build a store, and we're going to build multiple stores. And then what was that moment like when, okay, we got to file Chapter 11? Was there a conversation that happened there with your dad, and he said, I told you so? Or was yeah. that something that you guys were able to work through? No, it was a, it was a to- told you so conversation. Okay. And uh, he never wanted me to go into business anyway because he wanted me to go to college. Mm. I didn't want to go to college because I figured I was going to flunk out. Mm. And what I didn't realize was that uh, – the reason I was such a terrible student in school was because I couldn't read, and I faked it. Mm. And uh, I never knew what, you know, why I couldn't, but later on in life, I found that I had dyslexia. And now it's common. People have dyslexia, and they, you know, go to special tutors and special schools and all sorts of things, but I, I, they just thought I was a loser. And... Because I had a lot of brothers and sisters, they would compare me against, like, my sisters or uh, my brother. And I was such a bad student. Uh, The comparison between the grades my sister was getting, who was Mm -hmm. a year younger, Mm -hmm. and my grades were like, you know, she would get 90s on Mm -hmm. math exams and I was getting, like, 40s. Mm. And so my father thought I was a total screw up. Mm. And he, you know, practically gave up on me. And I don't blame him. I understand because he thought, you know, if your sister can do it, why can't you do it? Yeah. And your sister, your sister studies, but you don't study. Well, it's because I couldn't read. Yeah. And I was embarrassed to tell anybody I couldn't read. Because I thought that the reason I couldn't read was because it was my fault. Mm. But in reality, I, I had this dyslexia. So after uh, I decided not to go to college, my father and I were at odds. Right. And uh, I started my business at the same time. The business started taking off, so he was cool. Right. But then when it went bankrupt, he wasn't too cool. He said, I told you. Yeah. But then I got back on my feet. And then I started to build my brand. Right. And when I started build, building my brand, I saw the future. Mm. And it became a real business. Mm. And then the real business became uh, a very powerful business that turned into what is now a global right. lifestyle brand. Right. For sure. I think, I think a lot of other listeners would love to know, once you go... 
once you, once you file Chapter 11, how do you get back on your feet? Is it credit cards? Is it well, loans from family and no, friends? In, in those you, days, it was cash. Okay. You needed cash. So you're Chapter 11. Right. And what happens is they don't put you out of business. You right. can stay in business, but you have to pay cash for everything. Wow. So every day, we would take the cash that we would bring in from selling clothes and we'd have to pay for anything and everything uh, out of out of yesterday's till. Right. So it was hand to mouth. Right. Right. And we closed uh, a few of our stores. Mm-hmm. We were left with two stores. Uh, at that time, discounters were opening, selling bell bottoms and cool clothes. Right. So we weren't the only ones. Right. And uh, it, it was a struggle. So I decided I should sell my share of the business regardless of how much I could get for it because right. I wanted to move to New York City and I wanted to learn how to build my own fashion brand. Right. And now let's hear from our brand partner. My name's Rakia Reynolds, and I am the founder, owner, president of Sky Blue Media. We're a multimedia communications agency. So basically, we work with businesses or brands on the overall business branding and bragging of their product. Um, you know, I, I am a brand loyalist, so I, I still use the same products that I started my business with. Um, I started off with a Dell desktop, and I grew up, and now I use the XPS. So I, like, have this cute, like, piece. It's gold. I, you know, I show it off all of the time and I carry it everywhere because it helps me to do more and I'm able to sit in meetings and then listen in on a meeting. So it's like I'm doing three things at one time and that's the way that I shine. Now back to Art of the Hustle. When you set up Tommy Hilfiger in 1985, you spent time in India. And uh, at least according for, to, to what I read, you would sit in the factory with a pile of sketches, you'd watch the clothes being made, and you would tweak as they were making them, and you felt like it was arguably the best design school in the world. Being that you have the ability to both design and also be a visionary, right? How do you actually balance being the visionary and being caught up in the actual fine details of the, of the garments and the designs? You know, it's uh, when you have uh, a dream and a vision and a goal, I think you have to picture it. And I always pictured it. I could visualize it. I could see the brand. I could see the stores. I could see the fashion shows. I could see the label. I could see the whole sphere. I, I saw it. But at the same time, I knew in order to get there and really make that come to fruition, I had to do the, the dirty work, the hard work. Right. So I would do the, the hard work. And I, did, I designed everything on my own in the beginning. Wow. And I checked every button, every thread, everything. But at the same time, I had that vision. Right. And I had that dream in my mind. So I, you know, I was about to give up more than once. Mm. And mainly it's because I didn't have the money to keep rolling yeah and uh you have to sacrifice a lot sure so you sacrifice everything from eating some days to uh, working when your friends are having a good time for sure <laughs> to uh 
you know, giving it every bit of sweat you have. Right, right. I totally, I, I totally, I totally get that. Uh, you know, wanting to break into the music industry, I, I, I figured out a way that I could take graduate level classes, which only met once a semester, so I could spend the rest of the week in the studio, right? So basically my grade was not based on attendance, it was all based on the final paper. I only met one time, if I got an A on the final paper, C in the class, I would pass. You're lucky. Yes. That's that's unusual. I I figured it out, right? Uh, But I would say this, um, as much as I worked super hard and I had a vision, I needed someone to actually be that entree for me. And so for you to even have the vision and say, hey, I'm going to have, a, I'm gonna have a, a, my own brand and I'm going to go to where the clothes get made, how did that even happen? Did someone introduce you? How did you get to India? Was, was there someone there that you knew? Was there? No, when I was buying clothes for my stores, right. I was always looking for uh, manufacturers, somebody, mm. somebody who could make my ideas. Mm-hmm. And I found this Indian guy in New York who told me he had factories in India. He could make anything I wanted. Wow. So I told him that I would love to bring my design book to, to India to do it, to, to, to use his factories. So uh, my, my wife and I, I, I'd just gotten married in 1979. My wife and I went to India for a honeymoon. Wow. And we spent our last dime on the plane tickets. So we stayed in this guy's house, and his factory is in the basement. So every day, we stood there and made samples. And then at the end of the trip, we put the samples in a bag, went back to New York, right. and hustled to hit the streets, right. try to sell them to anybody who would buy them, any right. store that would buy them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of starts and stops, a lot of obstacles. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That, that's a great segue to work-life balance. So that's, a, that's yeah. kind of the next vibe that people want to understand. Because a lot of folks, just like you were just talking about, sometimes they take the sacrifice of, hey, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't go to the club tonight, I'm working. Or, um, you know, I, I, I can't do the nice dinner tonight because, you know, I don't want to be the weird guy that can't throw down a credit card, yeah. right? And yeah. so in doing music, sometimes... I couldn't actually afford to book someone from like one of the biggest agencies, but my girlfriend might happen to be at one of the biggest agencies and we'd take a trip so I could actually shoot the video with her, but it's actually vacation at the same time, right? And so the the story that really resonates with me that you took your honeymoon and you actually stayed somewhere where you could get the work done and still have that beautiful romantic. Was it a beautiful romantic experience at the same time, though? To be honest, we worked every single day. Oh, my day. goodness. And uh, I think we had one day off in 30 days. Wow. That we went to, to, to a beach. But, you know, when you love what you do, it's not work. Right. If you're really passionate about what you do, it's not work at all. Right. Right. It's true. It's so true. Do you feel like do you feel like now you've you've been able to find now that you have a staff, you have a global business, you feel like you've been able to find a, a better balance of work and life? Yeah, now but this is after thirty five years of, of Tommy Hilfiger. <laughs> and uh, I have a, an amazing team. Mm-hmm. But for many years I, I had to do it on my own and didn't have that team. 
Yeah. And uh, in the beginning stages, when you didn't have the huge team, did you feel like you were the only guy that could get everything done yeah. to the detail? I was also a control freak because I wanted to make sure that I had my hands on every single thing. Right. And anytime I would let it out of my hands, I would find people would make mistakes on it. You know, they make the sleeves too long or the yeah. collar too short. Or, mm-hmm. you know. So I really wanted to control it and make sure that it was perfect. I mean, I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I wanted to make sure if it had my name on it, it was amazing. Yes, for sure, for sure. You talked a little bit about your dyslexia. You have a family of your own now. Mm-hmm. You have children of your own. Your daughter, Ali, was diagnosed with Lyme disease at 21. Your son, Sebastian, diagnosed with autism shortly after he was born. Yeah. These are tough circumstances. These are challenges that no one can ever prepare someone for, right? Tell us a little bit about how this has affected your life and how it may have been a catalyst for you to spend more time focused now on giving back. Yeah. Well, you know, years ago I found found out my sister had MS. Mm. And I decided at that time I should become involved with uh, the Race to Erase MS. Mm. So we started doing fashion shows and uh, uh, fashion music shows right. where we'd have a band, we would have a runway, and we're raising money for the cause. And now they're finding drugs that are coming close to at least stopping the advance of it. Right. But before that, when I first started to make money, I wanted to give back because I wanted to help young people who really needed direction and needed a a better life. So I built a community center in my hometown of Elmira, New York Mm -hmm. for underprivileged kids. And then I built a summer camp at the Fresh Air Fund in New York, Mm -hmm. upstate New York. And when I was doing that, I was spending time with the young kids and watching them really become excited about a different life because a lot of these kids are from ghettos in New York City and if they don't have a place to go in the summer they hang out next to the fire hydrant on the streets yeah and get into drugs and everything right you you know the whole deal yeah so when we opened the fresh air fund summer camp we took over 15,000 kids and we still take 15,000 kids a summer and bring them to the camp. And the same thing in my hometown of Elmira, New York. After school, these kids don't have any place to go. There's not a parent home. Right. They're from single-parent homes, and they go to the community center, and there are mentors and people in the community center hosting programs and watching over these kids. Right, right. That's... that's, uh that's something that's close to my heart. My, like I said, my parents still to this day, I tried to retire my mom and uh, she stayed home for six months and then wrote me an email and said, hey, I want to go to India and build hospitals, right? So they have, a, they have a beautiful Fantastic. commitment to the service of others in life. Um, and uh, I would say this, uh, there's always been someone in my, in my circle uh, that has been really, really instrumental in giving me that direction, helping me to see the world 
happen even before I see it. They, they know what's going to happen. And one of those uh, guys is a guy by the name of Sandy Green. He was my um, he was a, uh, advisor to me. He was at Harvard Business School when I was at Harvard. And he told me, he said, Ryan, look, when you're young and you're touring and you're doing the music and you're not eating and you know, you're staying up all night, et cetera, that's cool and everything, but at some point it's going to catch up. And if you've made some money and you've made beautiful relationships, you're going to want to extend your life, right? So yeah. uh, he said, look, you have to get somehow figure out a, a nice balance to eat well, exercise, so that you can enjoy. Keep healthy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So for yourself, did you have like a, a eating exercise regime that you uh, started to follow once you, you know, had some stability in your business. Is that something that you try yeah. to weave in now? You have a trainer. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I keep myself in good shape. Right. And I was doing a lot of yoga for mm. a while, and then now I, I work out just about every day. Wow. In some form or another, and I eat well, and yeah, not, not very much meat, and not much dairy. Right. You know. So I mean, I, I think. In this day and age, if you're really smart about the way you take care of yourself, you could probably live to be 100 plus. Yes. So that, that's what I'm aiming for. Yeah. My grandfather just passed, but he was 96 years old. And Sorry. no no one, jeans. no one expected it, right? No one expected it. He was still serving. I mean, he's a, he was also a Salvation Army officer. That's how my mother was born in Guyana. He was a missionary from uh, Holland. And my grandmother was a missionary from China. Wow. Both on service in Guyana had my, had my mother. And I grew up the first nine months of my life at a children's home in Suriname. And a lot of people say, well, where's Suriname? It's a Dutch colony in South America where I grew up. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he lived all the way to 96. And in addition to just, like, walking a lot and eating well, he cooked his own food, grew his own vegetables. He, I always asked, I said, well, what do you— Opa, because he's Dutch. Opa, what's the secret to life? And he'd say, it's it's uh, it's the magic of serving other people, right? Because that keeps you keeps you excited, keeps you going, etc. Um, you've already accomplished so much in your life. Uh, what do you? I mean, and, and as, I mean, a thirty minute conversation is like not enough time to really cover everything. Uh, but what do you really want? What do you really want your legacy to be? I mean, it's it's already basically etched right you have yeah. your 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 brand which is your name and it will live and everything that you've done and and now your book allows you to live what what do you really want if you could describe yourself what what do you feel you want your legacy to be uh well i want my children to follow mm. in my footsteps in terms of treating others the way you want to be treated but at the same time giving back right and at the same time being grateful right because so many people who have opportunity and are i think fortunate enough to live a certain lifestyle take it for granted sure and i think you have to be very grateful every day for what you do have not what you don't have sure and i think a lot of people are always complaining about what they don't have as opposed to saying wow you know i've i've got i've got great health yeah I live in a great place, whether they're living in New York City or, I don't know, L.A., Miami. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there are great places to live. For sure. Um, I have opportunities, and I think there are opportunities all over in front of everybody. Yes. On every level. Yeah. And I think you have to take advantage of those opportunities. But I think, ultimately, 
the gratitude, being grateful for what you do have is important. I agree. What would you say was one of your proudest moments so far as you look back? Um, well, I think from a business standpoint, you know, I'm proud we're still in business after all these years. For and sure. still growing. Um, I'm also, I, I, you know, I'm proud that we have been able to make a difference in people's lives. Yeah. You know, we're involved with autism and we're involved with uh, breast cancer research mm. and we're involved still with MS. And we're involved with uh, a number of different charities, but I, I think I'm, I'm really proud that I was able to forge that right. and set that precedent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's an understatement to say you're still in business. When we look at 2015, $6.5 billion in retail sales. If I'm, hopefully I'm not undercutting, but $6.5 billion in retail sales, uh, 115 countries, five continents. I, I would say that you're 100% still in business and growing. And uh, I would say, um, I, 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 think, I think we'd love to hear uh, how do you actually, how do you stay relevant from the mid 80s to, you know, 2016? Is it about flexibility? Is it about pivoting? Is it about seeing expansion opportunities? What would you say is the, uh, what's the key in, in having a long-term vision that can, can, can be sustainable over that period of time? You, you have to be flexible, but you also have to have a vision as to what you want to stand for and how you want your brand to be different than what is out there because there are a lot of brands out there and you could end up being the same as everybody else. Right. And I never wanted to be like other brands. I really wanted to be different. So in the early 80s, I thought, you know, my real love is music wow. and musicians. Mm-hmm. If musicians wear my clothes, their fans are going to wear my clothes, and it's going to keep me connected to music. So over the years, everybody from Britney Spears, Usher, Lenny Kravitz, David Bowie, Mick Jagger, Mm -hmm. Beyonce, Jewel, uh, Enrique Iglesias, I mean, uh, J-Lo, I could go on and on, have always been connected to my brand because I've reached out and made it happen. Yeah. And what it did was it really created this whole celebrity marketing idea. Right. That now everybody does. Yeah, of course. So as a result of everybody doing it now, I'm I'm always thinking, okay, now now what next? What next? What next? What next? How do I stay stay relevant? How do I keep unique? How do I surprise the public? How do we do something that's really authentic and believable and cool and right. and, and and on the edge and and true to the brand? So recently we signed Gigi Hadid. Mm, I saw that. Okay, so Gigi Hadid is not only the number one model in the world, but she is uh, the social media star. Of course. And she's also an incredible girl. Mm-hmm. Very, very smart. Mm-hmm. It has amazing style. Mm-hmm. So I invited her not only to be my number one model on the runway and in the advertising, but I wanted her 
Southern California vibe right. in my clothes. Right. So I invited her to collab with me and design with me. Amazing. Designers never done this with a model. Designers use models as statues. Yes. And to show the clothes and to make the clothes look better. Right. I didn't want that. I wanted part of that, but I wanted her, what was in her mind, what was in her brain, what she thinks is hip and cool, what she likes to wear, mm. how she likes to wear what she likes to wear. So I invited her into my design studio, and I said, I want you to design. Right. I'm going to put sketchers, pattern makers, all sorts of people around you, and I want you to, to, to do it. And we want to do Gigi Tommy line. I so uh, now last two weeks, uh, no, three weeks ago, we had a fashion show in New York, open yes. to the public. Yes. Uh, buy Now, Wear Now show, which is breakthrough, disruptive. We had two billion impressions that night. We had a 900% increase in our Tommy.com website. And now she's on tour all over the world with... Tommy Hilfiger, Gigi Hadid collection. Incredible. And uh, with a fragrance. Right. And now other people are starting to think that way and copy the idea, so I have to go to the next. Of course. But to me, that is the fun of this business today. Right. Because I like to be disruptive, I like to be breakthrough, and I like to do what the competition doesn't do. And be ahead of it, right? You're ahead. Be ahead of it. How much does teamwork? How much does it's all about team? It's all about the people. You need incredible people who believe in you and believe in what you want to do, and are passionate, and want to bring. I, I need these people to bring me ideas also. Right. And when I, I give them an idea, I want them to take my idea and make it even better. Of course. So it's it's all about teamwork. Yes. You've rubbed elbow. I mean, you just listed off the who's who of. Everyone that everyone wants to be, right? Uh, people that have worn your clothes, people that have been admirers, people that have uh, uh, been a part of your journey. I was actually signed to Tommy Matola, actually. Uh, so uh, he and Talia, you know, uh, were literally like uh, step parents in New York almost to me, right? Uh, when he was running Casablanca right next door to the Louis Vuitton store on uh, on, on on Fifth Avenue, and uh, you know. What's the best piece of advice that you received from all of these people? Whether you've, even from a Gigi now or, you know, a Tommy or a Quincy Jones. Okay, I saw you read your Yeah, Tommy and I are very close because Tommy and I actually we're, we, we live next to each other. Okay. We see each other every day. Okay. So, you know, we, we're, we're good. We're a good balance to each other. But Tommy's got a lot of experience in the music world. Yes. From Mariah to Talia to, I mean. Jessica Simpson. He, he, I mean, well, yeah. Look, he found J-Lo. Yes. Ricky Martin. Yes. Gloria Estefan. Yeah. And he ran Michael Jackson's life for a long time. Yeah. So Tommy gives me a lot of advice on how important it is to stay true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Because that was the advice he would give to Mariah. That right. was the, that's what he the, the advice he gave to Talia in helping her become arguably the number one Latin superstar in the world. Yes, stay true to yourself. Believe in what you believe in. Don't sway from it, and milk it while you can. Right. 
make hay while the sun shines. Right, for sure. So, I mean, it's, Tommy's a genius when it comes to business and music and celebrity, and we're partners and businesses together, and I look up to him for a lot of advice. And then Talia, I mean, she's an entity unto herself. Yes, she She's is. amazing. Yes, she is. Uh, it's, it's a great relationship we have. That's amazing. Would you, if you, if you had to give advice to the entrepreneurs that are listening, would you, would you, would you just pass that advice through? Be true to yourself. I, that's the advice I give to other people wow. because I do believe in it. But Tommy solidified it in in, in a way that came from the viewpoint of uh, a hit maker, right? Someone who made hits. Yes. And I'm saying it through the advice of a fashion person. So. You know, my, the, the the two things I love in, in in my life are fashion and music. Yes. So if I take the fashion advice from myself, right, and I take the f- music advice from Tommy, <laughs> it happens to be the same because it dovetails. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, if you could trade jobs, this is the last question we ask everyone who's who's on who's on, who's on the show. If you could trade jobs with anyone in the world, would you trade? That would be a very hard one right. because I love what I do. Sure. I'm, I mean, I wake up every morning excited about doing what I do because no two days are ever alike. Right. And I'm thinking about what we do for our next fashion show now. And right. I dream up this crazy, incredible, unbelievable idea. And I have a bunch of people who execute it for right. me and with right. me to a T. So, so getting back to your musical roots, if you could be Bruce Springsteen for a day and everything would be cool and you could go rock out, would you do it? Just yeah, for a day? Yeah, just yeah. To play? Okay. If I could play like Bruce, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I'd go on tour. For sure. But maybe not Bruce, maybe somebody else. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Maybe, maybe Robert Plant. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Led wow. Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I, I just want to say thanks so much for the time. For Thank your, you. It's been a great exchange. Right. I've learned so much in this short amount of time and... Uh, uh, this is this is Art of the Hustle. All right, that's it. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you come back and check out more Art of the Hustle stories. For more about Art of the Hustle, go to iHeartRadio.com slash Art of the Hustle. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to The Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. 
Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.